Welcome to the Innovation and Compliance Podcast, part of the Compliance Podcast Network. Join us every week as we talk with industry innovators who are making compliance to help business run more efficiently and at the end of the day, more profitably. Here's your host, Tom Fox. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox back for another episode. And today I have with me Jed Yua. Jed has a really interesting professional background. I'm pleased to see you're also a liberal arts major and undergrad, so we're going to talk about that. But he is a digital disruptor, and we're going to explore what that means, what it's been over his professional career, and what it may mean in 2025 and beyond. So, Jed, first of all, with that incredibly long-winded introduction, welcome, and thank you so much for taking the time to visit with me today. Yeah, thank you, Tom. It's great to be here. Could you tell us a little bit about your professional background? You know, I started out as an accidental entrepreneur. I really didn't intend to get into technology. My very first job, even when I was in high school, was in journalism. And then my first job out of college was a high school teacher. So I, I really started out from pretty humble origins. I was just trying to help pay my way through college when I started teaching at a local high school. And I somehow got sucked up into the technology industry over time. So as I alluded to, you have a undergraduate degree in liberal arts. That's not the usual degree I see with entrepreneurs, particularly in the digital or tech space. But I was wondering, is there any part of that academic study, the academic rigor you may have learned that has informed your professional career path going forward? It's pretty interesting. I was an English major, so you would think it's pretty far apart, pretty far afield from the world of technology. And I also did a lot of coursework in creative writing. What's interesting about technology today is it's an incredibly broad white canvas for applied creativity. And so some of those creativity, that free thinking that is part of creative writing also applies to technology. And then if you think about some of the things that you do as an English major, where you're really looking for these themes and these tropes within works of literature, where you really have to analyze very complex content and see multiple levels deep. You have to do that for the world of technology as well, because there are so many things that are happening in the world of tech, so many levels at which tech is evolving that you have to see in a unified way. And that's actually very similar to what you do in literary analysis. So you have been in the digital space for quite some time uh, professionally. I was wondering if you could talk about two or three of the most significant evolutions you've seen over the past 20 years or so. Yeah, when I started out in the in the digital space, I kind of started out my first company at the perfectly wrong time. It was right around the first dot-com boom. It was the dot-com boom and bust. It was really in the bust cycle. And that's when I started my first company, Avamar. And what was occurring at that time was this big shift in data from traditional media like tape, physical media like tape, to digital media like disk. And our idea at the time was if you if you took like TiVo and MP3 players, which were taking tapes and putting them all onto disk, the data from movies and from music and putting them onto disk. Uh, What we wanted to do was to take all this backup data that was going onto tapes and put it onto disk. And so we invented this technology called data deduplication. And that started transforming a lot of the different piece parts of the industry. You certainly had data deduplication take over backups, and then you had WAN optimization with companies like Riverbed, and you had uh, data deduplication get added into storage arrays, which happened after EMC acquired my first company. And so that technology proliferated throughout the data space. Then a little bit farther on, companies started having incredible demands for usage of data, more and more needs for data, development and testing and analytics and then cloud trials, regulation, uh, regulatory testing, legal holds. Later on, they needed to modernize things and they needed to get to the cloud and use data for AIML. So you had this explosion in, in data usage. 
And then today we really live in the multi-cloud era where everybody's really on a race to use their data as a key driver for all their innovation initiatives and programs. So data has become even more important. So I've lived through three major transitions in data. So you have called yourself a digital disruptor. Could you explain to us what you meant by that term? Yeah, when I, when I first started in tech, I was really looking for something that would be compelling, a product or a concept or a technology that would give somebody like me an unfair competitive advantage. And I had no advantages. I, I didn't come from the world of tech. I'd never taken a computer science course. I didn't have any connections to VCs or entrepreneurs or technologists. And so I was really starting from, from you know, the bottom right, bottom left corner. I really had a hard time finding my way into tech. But the idea was so strong that I knew it would be disruptive for the industry. I knew that the, the base concept of taking what happened to TiVo and what happened with MP3 players and transitioning that into the enterprise tape backup space would be hugely disruptive. So the concept and the tech, you could see just through analysis that um, that entire industry would change and yield. That's exactly what happened over the course of the decade. You know, I wanted to ask you, how has the pandemic exposed vulnerabilities in organizations around digital transformation, but I think perhaps the better question after listening to you is, are there new opportunities for organizations around digital transformation that have come out really the last year of COVID-19? Yeah, I would totally agree with that. There are a lot of new opportunities that have emerged. I I think over the last decade, a lot of enterprises, they've been a little bit complacent. We've all seen the rise of tech giants and their incredible market caps but they still feel like they are doing enough. There are a lot of excuses why they didn't need to move faster. I'd actually run into companies who would say things like, well, we're not trying to release our core mission-critical ERP systems faster. We'd like to run them on a slow cadence. Uh, but today, what everybody's realizing is there, there is no case for slow anymore. You, everything must go fast. And when you take away all the excuses and force everything to be digital, as COVID has done for so many companies and so many piece parts of processes and operations, it reveals what's possible in the world of digital. And so the race is really accelerated. All the excuses have been taken away. And I think the real key today that people are beginning to understand is that there's a new piece that you have to manage or master in the world of technology. So about a decade ago, companies all woke up. They realized that software is eating the world and they all needed to become software companies and manage software development well. But today, all the, all the biggest companies in the world are these tech giants who are masters of data management. They really do a great job harnessing the power of all of their data across all the touch points in which they collect and gather and store data. And they use that to drive their operations and their products that define their industries. So, Jed, now I'd like to turn to the most recent company you founded, Delphix. Delphix. And ask you to begin with, why did you found or co-found this company? Yeah, I started Delphix right after I left EMC. So my first company, Avamar, was acquired by EMC. And at Avamar, we had packed a lot of data onto disk for backups. But I had a lot of customers who came to me and said, hey, hey, Jed, you've got, you've got this backup solution, but we pile all this data onto disk, and we still have to restore it to another location to use it. And we're restoring it to a lot of locations for different uses, dev, test, QA stage, analytics, training, legal holds, and the like. And so they asked me, you know, can you do something about the inefficiency of the data usage that we have, not just the data protection? And I realized that we had really gotten it backward, that we had, we had built a solution that was great at efficiency and cramming data down into small footprint. But the world had changed. The demands for data had been rising. 
And so there was so much more need for data inside of these enterprises. And so I started Delphix right after I left EMC. And the idea was we wanted to build a new architecture that was focused on enabling the multi-use of data for all of these strategic and valuable use cases that drive innovation and differentiation for companies. So I wanted to ask you, what does the term programmable data infrastructure mean? Yeah, it's a great question, and it's a mouthful of a term. What's happened over the last decade is almost everything in the traditional data center has really been automated. The code, the compute, the networks, the storage, everything in the cloud, you can drive via APIs. But data is the last automation frontier. Data is is heavy, it's complex, it's growing fast, it's filled with compliance and security risk. It is native to each application and data repository, so it's very hard to get a handle of data where it's growing in all these independent application silos. So what we do is we make data, which is normally trapped inside of applications and databases, and we make it all programmable so we can get it out of one location, make it secure and compliant, and deliver it wherever you need it, all via APIs. So within one line of code, two lines of code, three lines of code, we can take all the data in a 50 terabyte application and deliver it into a downstream environment where you can build on that data for innovation. And so it's really taking data that would be trapped and hard to manage in silos and making all of that programmable and automated like the rest of what's happened in the cloud. So I come out of the energy industry, and typically the energy industry grows through mergers and acquisitions. You've experienced some of that yourself. So literally across the world, one multinational company could have 10 different ERP systems and an attendant number of of HR, conflict of interest, or you name the system. Can Delphix actually cut through that sort of those barriers to entry to obtain the data? Can you work with a system that's truly cobbled together literally across the globe? Yeah, that's actually one of our key use cases. We have a a couple tech giants who actually use us for that exact use case, as well as large enterprises. And the challenge is if you have these ERP systems across the globe for different business units or acquired entities, you still need to be able to roll up all that data into a financial close. Part of the rationale for these acquisitions is you're going to get upsell and cross-sell and you're going to get operational efficiency. But you can't do that at scale without having all of that embodied in your ERP systems. And so what, what programmable data infrastructure does is it connects to all the application data wherever it resides. It can pull that data and make it available wherever you need it, such as in the centralized ERP target environment where you want to consolidate everything. And now you're able to very quickly do the analytics you need for financial close, begin the process of integration faster than if you had to go through standard standard methods of gathering data and non-automated methods of gathering data. And so you can move forward an integration program for ERP twice as fast with programmable data infrastructure. So many of the listeners to this podcast, Jed, are in a different type of compliance than I hear you talking about, and that's anti-corruption compliance. But within that field, the Department of Justice, who regulates the laws governing anti-corruption compliance, has mandated that compliance functions must have access to their own company data, and companies must work to give them access. It sounds to me like you have the perfect tool for what the regulators in the form of the Department of Justice have mandated for the anti-corruption compliance professional. Yeah, absolutely. We have uh, most of the world's biggest banks are our customers, as an example, and many of them use us for the 
ESA, AML, the anti-money laundering use case, is anti-corruption use cases. And what's happened is the regulators have gotten smarter and smarter. They're now demanding these high-tech data management processes around the data that's provided to the regulators. And so many of these companies use our products, our platform, to pull the data from all their source applications into the reporting environment. And there are some interesting features with our product. Not only do we have very flexible access to the data, we can version control the data. The data is mutable once it's sitting in our platform, so we can bring it to any time that you need. And that's really important because if you're going to fire off a set of reports to regulators, you want to be able to bookmark or version control the data where it all came from. Because if a challenge occurs, you need to be able to show what occurred from the data to address that challenge. And so you need the lineage in order to actually handle some of the issues that will come back as you move through the regulatory process. Many, many years ago, when I was a practicing lawyer, I utilized some of the tactics and strategies you talked about, but back then we called it document production. And it really sounds like you have digitized what lawyers did time immemorial on an incredibly more comprehensive scale. Would that be a fair assessment? Yeah, absolutely. Instead of on documents, we do it to the data sitting in applications. And today, most scale businesses from medium to very large companies all depend on tens to thousands. We have some of our customers that have 10,000 applications that they use to manage their business. And so that's where the biggest trove of data records really reside today is inside of applications. I have to tell you, I could probably geek out with you on this topic for longer than anyone would want to listen to. So I probably should move on by asking you, you wrote a book a couple of years ago called Disrupt or Die. And after so far in this podcast, I think I now have a sense of what you were talking about. But why did you write the book and who should read it? You know, for the last several years, I've had a lot of, a lot of people would ask me, especially people who knew me in high school or college, they'd ask me, how in the world did you end up becoming a tech CEO and a tech entrepreneur, or a serial entrepreneur in tech? And the reality is it's easier today than ever to innovate and disrupt an industry. And so a lot of the things that I would share just in piecemeal conversations, I decided to write and pull together. We also partner with many of the world's largest companies and industry leaders, and we work with them on their innovation and transformation strategies, making sure the data is really strategic to these programs. And so I've talked to a lot of companies about how do you drive innovation, how do you drive transformation, how do you stave off disruption? And all of the lessons that I've learned and applied in my two companies I've written up in in the book, Disrupt or Die, and just shared with with anybody who cares to read it. Let me change the focus just a little bit and ask you, has your approach or your company's approach, perhaps more correctly, changed over the past year? Or is it really driven at a much more exponential rate, the concepts you were trying to put forward into the marketplace? Yeah, at the outset of the year, we were pretty conservative, like many companies Valley, we were preparing for the storm. But then what we saw was digital transformation just accelerate. And so the urgency of these application transformation and digitization programs really accelerated through all of last year and it's continuing on for the next several years. And so that that's really what we focused on is this wave of digital transformations. And that's grown our business very quickly. We flipped to profitability last year on the basis of outperforming our plans. And uh, and we are growing much faster this year than, than the prior year. Jen, what do companies need to be thinking about in terms of the digital transformation and digital disruption into 2025 and even beyond? I think companies really need to focus on what is real digital transformation and what is not. 
there are so many vendors who sell into digital transformation. Everybody feels like they have a digital transformation program. But most of the time, they're just, they're just attacking these fringe transformation or fringe digitization use cases. To me, if you really want to call something transformation, it needs to change your business. It needs to change the way your business operates, the products that you sell, the way you operate with your customers and with all the stakeholders, either your, your supply chain or your partners or whoever is in the overall ecosystem. It has to be transformative for the business. For instance, you, you could take like a ServiceNow program and automate a bunch of processes and save tens of millions of dollars. And yes, that's good to do and you're going to save money and it makes sense. But that's not transformation. That's just evolution. You're just digitizing some processes. So real digital transformation, you need to think hard about what is the right way to interact in your industry to win your, the future of your industry. What does that take in terms of products and applications? And are you on a program that will be the winner in 5, 10, 20 years? It also strikes me that if a company doesn't engage in a digital transformation and make its own data available to itself to make their business processes more efficient, frankly, they're going to be left in the dust by their competitors who do so. Absolutely. And I I see so many large enterprises that say, we have a digital transformation program and our first step is we're gonna, we're gonna roll out DevOps and then we're gonna start using public cloud. Well, those are just the tools that real transforming companies use. They already have real transformation programs. They're defining next generation products. They're not just trying to get to the basic infrastructure. So to me, programs like that means you're just falling farther and farther behind. You, you call it transformation, but really you're just becoming more and more laggard in the overall industry. Jen, unfortunately we are near the end of our time for this episode, but I was wondering if our listeners wanted any more information on Delphix or any of the topics you've raised in this podcast, where could they go? Yeah, they can definitely go to our website, Delphix.com. And uh, I also have my book available on Amazon, Disrupt or Die. Well, Jeff, this has just been a fascinating approach. I generally ask people if I might call upon them in the future, but I'm not even going to ask. I'm just going to tell you, I'm going to buy your book, I'm going to read it, and then I'm going to, then I'm going to ask you to come back on the pod and talk about uh, innovation in the innovation process. This has been a fascinating interview. I'm really going to have to think about this. You brought forward a lot of concepts that are not typically discussed to my audience or in my space. So I wanted to thank you uh, for raising those with me, and I look forward to continuing the conversation. Yeah, thank you, Tom. This is a great conversation. Enjoy it. If you want to stay up to date on the latest innovations in compliance and help your business run more efficiently, subscribe to this podcast and help spread the word by leaving a review.